You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with the sudden death of a teenager in Langley. The incident unfolded at a skate park in Walnut Grove where a candlelight vigil is planned for tonight. Our Julia Foy is there and Julia, we're hearing this child was only 14 years old. What have you learned about what happened? Well, Chris, this has been a really sad day for everyone that's been dropping by the Walnut Grove Skateboard Park. We're hearing from young people, we're hearing from parents, we're hearing from others that can't believe that a 14-year-old boy who was in grade 9 going into start school in just a couple of weeks over at Walnut Grove Secondary School around the corner died last night. Now, what we can tell you is that friends say there were several people gathered here last night hanging out, beautiful night. They do allege that there was was some drug use. But they still say that they can't believe that their friend who was there, they were playing with, they were laughing for most of the evening for several hours, around 8 o'clock got in such serious trouble that it led to his death. Here's what some of his friends had to say. I wish I knew him better, honestly. I wish I got to know him better. He could do, like, really stupid stuff sometimes, but, like, he was a good kid overall. I was, like, crying earlier because, like, he was, like best friend to me you know yeah all right julia we learned this afternoon the iio is investigating that's the independent investigations office what do you know about their involvement well, it's kind of interesting because we did reach out, obviously, to the Langley RCMP, and they directed just the IIO. They did release a statement a little uh, while ago saying that, yes, they are investigating this. And, of course, that office often looks into actions if they think the police have done something unusual. But in this case, they say that it was really about the fact that police did attend. They were looking for the boy, so they were on scene. It's a little bit unclear when and where he died, whether it was here at the scene or or on the way to the hospital. And of course, the coroner is investigating the death as well. So a lot of sad news tonight. Uh, there we are expecting a number of people, a large number of people are starting to gather here for the candlelight vigil, which is expected to start at seven o'clock. So we'll have more news for you later on NewsHour Final. Chris? Sure will, thanks very much. Julia Foy reporting for us tonight. Now to the questions surrounding a story that has gripped our country for weeks. The manhunt for Briar Schmigelski and Cam McLeod, suspects in three murders in northern B.C., is over. Autopsies are now underway to confirm what police already believe, that they have found the remains of the two teens. Rumina Dea has more on the investigation and what happens to the charges laid against the murder suspects. Ten hours after the bodies were discovered in the dense brush, they arrived on the tarmac. Two boxes believed to contain the remains of BC murder suspects, Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski, loaded onto two RCMP planes. The bodies now in Winnipeg, where autopsies are being done to confirm their identities and determine how the teens died. The families of the three homicide victims relieved. The Canada-wide manhunt is over, but closure is unattainable. There is a little bit of closure, but there's also a lot of things that we're never going to know. We're never going to know their, their, what their motivation was. We're never going to know what was certain details and aspects of what was going on. Questions lingering globally. The RCMP not revealing a possible motive or how they linked the two suspects to the three homicides. 
we don't have the ability to ask that question of them and we may never know definitively what the motive is. International tourists Lucas Fowler and his girlfriend China Deese on an adventure of a lifetime when they came face to face with the suspects in northern BC last month. Leonard Dick, a Vancouver botanist, alone on vacation when he met the same fate. There won't be a trial because the suspects are believed to be dead. The charges of second-degree murder in connection to Dick's death will be abated or thrown out once the identities are confirmed, leaving the victims' families and the public in the dark about what really happened and why. You know, even though there, there is no likely trial in, in, in now in this proceedings, those answers are all, all still important. And I have every confidence in the RCMP to get us those answers. The question is, will the RCMP tell the public once this investigation is officially over? Romina Dea, Global News. And Global's Joe Scarpelli is live once again in Gillum, Manitoba, with more on the reaction in the community uh, as the police activity winds down after so many days. Joe? Yeah, good evening, Sophie. You can really feel it. You can see it everywhere you go. The town is starting to finally turn into the Gillum that everybody always knew it as. Everywhere you go, every person I spoke to today, is ju are ju they're just telling me they are so relieved. Of course, a lot of sympathy for the, the, the families of the victims, but everybody can finally go back to, uh, to you know, leaving their doors unlocked. That's not something you do around here, I'm told. Every, everybody goes home at night, they, they leave their car doors unlocked. But that wasn't the case for the last two weeks. The, the life here has been almost turned upside down while the hunt for Briar Schmigelski and Cam McLeod was ongoing. Here at the RCMP station, there, it's uh, it's been so calm today. Usually there's uh, action, police gearing up in camo, carrying large firearms. We didn't see any of that today, and everybody is just thrilled. Here, uh, here's a, a couple of people I spoke to earlier. The biggest fear, I think, for the majority of us was that there would be no resolution, right? Like that they would disappear into the night and we would have to continue on with that kind of hanging over our heads. And not just for us living here, but for the families of the deceased as well. So far, it looks like everybody's really relieved and able to finally go about their days without having to look over their shoulders or wake up double or wondering what some random noise at night was. And Sophie, all those sightings in Ontario, those reported sightings on, in Ontario, raised stress levels. But as it turns out, it appears that the two suspects were, in fact, in the backyard of this now internationally lone uh, town. Good to see things getting back to normal in Gillum. Thanks for that, Joe Scarpelli reporting. All right. Earlier, we saw Bill Blair. He's the federal minister of border security and organized crime reduction in town commenting on that story. He's weighing in on Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum's push to transition the city from RCMP to a municipal police force. And Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now with more on this. Keith, this is interesting because Blair spent a lot of time as a police officer. So what's his take on this transition?
Indeed, it is interesting. That's why we threw a question at him, Chris, not in his role as a minister, uh, but on his career as a municipal uh, police officer. He spent almost 40 years in the Toronto force, 10 years of that as he was the uh, chief of police in Toronto. So you'd think perhaps he might be warm to the idea of switching to a municipal force, given his background and experience. But of course, he has to be very diplomatic in his response and somewhat cryptic. Bit of tea leave reading here, but I interpret this uh, as sort of leaning towards keeping the status quo. As he went out of his way to use this occasion today to extol the uh, virtues and up, uh, the outstanding work, as he views it, of the existing police force in Surrey, which is the RCMP. On how to police the community of Surrey is the responsibility of the people of Surrey. And, and we very much respect the choices that they will make. But I also would take the opportunity, because I was in the profession for a very long time, and I had the privilege of working in partnership and side-by-side -side with the RCMP in Toronto and Ontario and right across the country. I've, I've met with, many times, the Surrey police leadership here in, in British Columbia, and I have great confidence in their absolute unwavering commitment and dedication to get the job done and to keep the people of the city safe. So, a pretty big endorsement for the current uh, detachment out there being the RCMP. Of course, uh, Mr. Blair has no direct role in deciding what ultimately happens here. That's Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General. And again, as I've been reporting for some time now, guys, every time I talk to Mike Farnworth, he emphasizes this is going to be a decision that's going to take a long time to make. It's not going to be under Doug McCallum's timeline. It's going to be very many months away before we know which way the province is leaning. Mm, sounds like it. All right, Keith in Victoria, thank you. All right. Now to a bizarre story out of Langley and a warning, some of the details are disturbing. Eagle Acres Dairy Farm is releasing these images from their surveillance cameras that show two people trespassing on their property in the middle of the night. The owners of the farm say the pair brutally killed a five-day-old calf, shooting it twice with a crossbow before stabbing it multiple times and then dragging it off. It was, it was disturbing, uh, just more the the act of how it was all done and what showed on surveillance. This person was not an experienced hunter, that's for sure, we can tell by that. The RCMP had suspected that this is uh, certainly uh, a well-dressed person, and we could see that from both of them, male and female. And the RCMP said that the vehicle looks to them like a BMW or a Mercedes, a higher-end vehicle, and uh, of Asian descent. We didn't think so. The owners of Eagle Acres are sharing this video as a warning to other farmers in the area and in the hopes someone will recognize the pair and it will lead to an arrest. Meantime, new video of conservation officers killing a sow in Port Moody earlier this month is stirring up fresh controversy. Residents calling for a better solution as the number of bears already destroyed this year has surpassed that of last year. Here's Nadia Stewart and a warning. While you don't see the bear being killed, you do hear the gunshots. If people put the garbage out too soon. Oh. In the days leading up to the August 1st encounter, there were sightings. Neighbors already fearing the worst. Then they'll get shot. And it's not the bear's fault. But the Conservation Officer Service says the bears, specifically the sow, had become a public safety threat in this Port Moody subdivision. Neighbours say police and conservation officers shut down the street, eventually capturing the cubs and euthanizing their mother. I think it's cruel and absolutely no need. It's not the bears' fault. This is where the bears live, you know. People choose to build their houses in their, in their place. It's not, it's not fair that the, 
the shot. Neighbors say there have been more bear sightings so far this year, but the most recent incident has them questioning why the bear was killed and not relocated. In an email, the Conservation Officer Service says multiple unsuccessful attempts were made to capture the bear. But by August 1st, they say it was too comfortable around humans. So far, officers have received over 2,500 black bear calls province-wide. 76 bears have been euthanized, up from 42 last year. Eight cubs have been rehabilitated. But folks here say those numbers need to change. I didn't really understand why they had to shoot and shoot to kill, you know, tranquilize, take them to somewhere nice, um, away from people. This is their space, not ours. We're the invaders. Nadia Stewart, Global News. The B.C. Wildfire Service is ramping up its efforts to fight a wildfire burning near Oliver that's grown again overnight. Efforts to get the upper hand on the Eagle Bluff fire made more urgent ahead of thunderstorms and wind expected for the area tonight. Nitu Garche is live near Oliver with the very latest, including a message to tourists who want to go there. Nitu. That's right, Chris. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, if you look at the smoke on the hills behind me, you can understand why some area residents are on edge. But the key message from fire officials is that while the Eagle Bluff wildfire has grown significantly, it's moving away from the community. Practicing skiers soaring off these water ramps set up at an Oliver winery, a telltale sign of summer. This has just been constant now. So are the helicopters flying overhead. Fortunately, we're, we're kind of used to the helicopters flying around. We definitely had some fatigue from the last two seasons with all that smoke. Um, it definitely had an impact on our business. And this year, things were looking up until Sunday night when the Eagle Bluff wildfire ignited. In four days, it has quadrupled in size, now nearly 1,500 hectares. The majority of the growth that we're seeing at this point in time is up and away from the communities at this point in time, which, you know, it, it is actually working a bit in our favor um, because it is actually burning out these inoperable areas and the cliff edges where we can't get people and coming into areas where we'll be able to actually start putting heavy equipment in and establishing control lines for more ignition work in the next you know few days or into the next week. Ahead of the storm, 80 more BC Wildfire Service personnel have been deployed, bringing the total to 160 firefighters on the ground, trying to limit the growth of an out-of-control blaze burning north of Oliver and possibly threatening nearly 250 properties in an expanded evacuation alert. Structural protection units and the local fire department also on hand. There's lots of support. I mean, over the years, the fires that we've had, we did have additional resources from Asoyus and OK Falls to help with those fires. As local businesses hope they don't take another hit, an advisory alerting anyone outside, especially children, about smoke and the potential for it to increase isn't stopping residents and tourists from enjoying the outdoors. The first day, everybody stayed out of the water, but now we've kind of, this has become the new normal. All the businesses are open and it's businesses as usual. Uh, there just happens to be a few more choppers flying around. All right, need to. We'll get the full forecast in a minute, but there is a storm expected for that region. What's the BC Wildfire Service saying about its plan of attack as that weather rolls in? Well, Chris, they tell me that they've brought in 19 pieces of heavy equipment and 13 helicopters. They have a 20-person crew available to work overnight. And weather permitting, they will be doing more planned burns in what could be the busiest 24 hours for crews since this blaze broke out late Sunday. Back to you. All right. Need to. Near Oliver. Thank you. Need to. 
First, though, what was your last pay raise? You might be interested in the bump executives at TransLink are getting. CEO, CEO Kevin Desmond, who has already paid more than our prime minister, could see his salary go up 25 percent. Ted Chernecki breaks down the numbers and why the TransLink board believes this is fair compensation. In favor? Two weeks ago, after finishing its public portion of the mayor's council meeting, behind closed doors, the mayor's approved a new pay scale for TransLink's senior executives. Earlier, the TransLink board of directors came up with a new minimum and maximum amount each executive can receive, noting that this is the first increase in more than four years. In the last six years, uh, executive salaries have been frozen for four of those six years, so they've only seen increases in two of those years. However, nine of our executives are at the top of their range, so they would not have seen any increase uh, as a result of that. So change the range. Now the CEO's top salary goes to $517,000 over the next four years, an increase of up to 25%. It's really upsetting when we hear people suggest that they need a raise because they've been held to a 4% raise over the last five years or so. Most people, most average workers and commuters would have loved to have seen a 4% increase over five years or so. And they sure as heck don't make more than $400,000 per year. There's a new pay ceiling for all executives. TransLink's chief financial officer could see an 8% raise. The CEOs of Coast Mountain Bus Company and BC Rapid Transit could climb up to 18%. And it's all retroactive to the first of this year. But TransLink says it could take four years for an executive to reach the new ceiling. We've fallen behind in terms of our market comparators, in terms of our executives, and it's becoming more of a challenge to attract and retain them. We've had one person, for example, Vice President of Real Estate, who just left for a a better job uh, in Ottawa. TransLink claims qualified candidates are being put off by BC's high cost of living, especially housing. Are we really supposed to believe that we can't find anyone in all of North America who can be paid the same amount, say, as the Premier of British Columbia? Just how big of a retroactive increase is to come? That's to be decided probably in the fall. Ted Chernecki, Global News. In Consumer Matters tonight, a warning from RCMP about a well-known boat dealership that's been accused of defrauding customers. Let's bring in our Ann Drua to tell us more about it. And and RCMP received a number of complaints. Yeah, they've received quite a few complaints, and so have we over the last few weeks. Thanks, Sophie. Police say Breakwater Marine, which is located along Fraser Highway in Surrey, is at the center of a major fraud investigation tonight, and they are making a public appeal for potential victims to come forward. say they have received multiple complaints since June. The investigation alleges fraudulent business practices by Breakwater Marine. Today, a search warrant was executed on the property where multiple boats and trailers were seized. The Mounties tell us one person has been arrested and is in custody. No charges have been laid. As police seized boats and other items, several customers showed up at the business. Some say they were shocked to receive a call from police. My sea do and, and trailer were stolen about, uh, I'm going to say, 17 years ago. And uh, we got a call today that our trailer is here and it's registered to us and do I want to come pick it up. Who called? Uh, the police did. That must be just uh, mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little disappointed the sea is missing. If anyone has any past dealings with Breakwater Marine and they feel that they may have been the victims of an alleged fraud, we recommend they call us immediately at 604-599-0502 or through Crime Stoppers and make sure they tell us their side of what happened. We are actively investigating this issue and we would like to add their details to the investigation. 
And the Better Business Bureau has given Breakwater Marine an F rating. The complaints it's received describe allegations around waiting weeks and sometimes months for payment after consigning boats for sale. Again, if you have been allegedly defrauded monies or property by Breakwater Marine or you have questions about your boat, you can contact Surrey RCMP. Or if you wish to remain anonymous, you can call Crime Stoppers at one 800 222 tips. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thank you, Anne. Two international fitness chains with locations in Vancouver are facing a wave of boycotts. Equinox and SoulCycle are both owned by a company chaired by billionaire Stephen Ross, who is hosting a pricey fundraiser for U.S. President Donald Trump. Catherine Urquhart reports. Outside Equinox in Vancouver, a steady stream of fitness devotees comes and goes. Many just learning the chain is at the center of a growing controversy linked to U.S. President Donald Trump. People judge you by your track record, who you hang out with and everything. At issue, the gym's billionaire owner, Stephen Ross, is hosting a Hamptons fundraiser for Trump on Friday. Attendees will pay up to $100,000 for a photo with Trump and $250,000 to listen in on a roundtable discussion. Model Chrissy Teigen among those speaking out. Cancer memberships today. You can come to my house and work out. Calls for a boycott also extending to associated companies, including SoulCycle, which has a location in Yaletown. I'm not a big fan of Trump myself, but... Um if that's what you believe, then you should stand up for it, right? Boycott him. Yeah, I know it's pretty bad, right? But I got a free pass, so... <laughs> you know what I mean? Equinox has tweeted, Neither Equinox nor SoulCycle have anything to do with the event later this week and do not support it. Stephen Ross stating, I have known Donald Trump for 40 years, and while we agree on some issues, we strongly disagree on many others. I have been and will continue to be an outspoken champion of racial equality, inclusion, and diversity. Ross's comments not convincing critics. I see it as ordinary people like me looking desperately for ways to fight what we see coming out of the White House right now. The billionaire's fundraiser for Trump still scheduled to go ahead on Friday. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, it turned out to be a beautiful day after some morning cloud to get outside, perhaps take in a ball game tonight. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is at Nat Bailey Stadium doing just that. Christy? That's right. We couldn't have picked a better evening to be down here for a good old ball game at Nat Bailey Stadium. They're uh, going up against the Washington Everett uh, Aqua Sox tonight, and it should be a great game. I need to introduce you to Andy Dunnies, president of the Vancouver Canadiens. Andy, we were talking about earlier, it, it's been a very successful year. It's a sold-out night tonight. You've got several sold-out nights. Uh, it, it, for people at home, how could they get tickets, and why do you think it's been so successful? Now, we've had a lot of fun. We get a lot of support locally from the community. Um, our community relations department does hundreds of events, and it, I think we're the most affordable entertainment in town. Yeah. And uh, so we, I think we have 12 games left after tonight. We have tickets for, I believe, four or five games left. Great. So as long as you plan ahead and get your tickets in advance, you should always be able to come to the ballpark. 
And you can do that online. Uh, great. Well, well, I'm going to be working on the weather for the next little while, but uh, tomorrow at noon, tomorrow Saturday noon. at uh, 7, thanks so much. Tonight will be a great night, so uh, good luck to the team, and thanks so much. Thank Andy. you. We need a little help with that weather Saturday night, so let's make it work, okay? I, I will. I'll okay. work on those showers. We're going to slide into them and try and ease them off. Thanks so much, Andy. All right, so back to you, and when I come back, I'm going to be eating a three-foot-long hot dog. Not all of it, but apparently <laughs> they have those here. So well, we'll show you that, okay? Save, save a couple feet for Chris and myself. Thanks, Chris. A feline frenzy caught on camera at a home in Taipei. These five house cats sent scrambling when a magnitude 6.0 earthquake startled them from their slumber in the middle of the night. The animals, as you can tell, start darting around while their home shakes around them. The tremors struck in the Pacific Ocean off Taiwan's northeast coast. There are reports of minor damage, but no injuries. How many cats? There was five in there. Oh, my goodness. All right. A new United Nations report says our diets need to change if we want to curb climate change. The report goes on to say population growth and changes in consumption patterns are using up almost all of the available land and water. Mike Drolet explains. The UN is raising the alarm on greenhouse gas emissions. Again, a special report released Thursday concludes that drastic changes to our diet could slow down global warming. So let's set the table on how we use the earth. 71% is considered habitable, of which half is used for agriculture. Now this is where it gets interesting because three quarters of all agricultural land is used for livestock, yet it only produces 17% of the calories we consume. So it's grossly inefficient and incredibly damaging because producing one kilo of animal protein produces 37 times more CO2 than producing the same amount of grain. And 23% of all greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture. So it's land use the UN is most concerned with because rainforests are essential to cooling the earth. Simply put, replacing forests with livestock production means less cooling and more methane. And that's why the U.N. is suggesting a plant-based diet for the health of our bodies and our planet. Back to you. Well, it's another step in the provincial government's remake of health care. North Vancouver is now home to the third urgent and primary care center to open in Greater Vancouver. Final fitting out is now being done on the clinic located near Lonsdale Key that will provide people with quick access to non-emergency health care. It will be the 10th such clinic in the province. Staffed by doctors, nurse practitioners and social workers, the centres are designed to bridge the service gap between emergency rooms and family doctors. UBC engineering students are showcasing some heroic skills in a robot competition with an Avengers theme. Three, two, one, go! Down. The students designed, built, and programmed their machines to race against the clock, completing an obstacle course, and the team with the fastest time saves the Avengers. The race is designed to give the students skills that they can translate into the real world. We've structured it as a robot competition to make it fun for the students, uh, but effectively they're learning all the prototyping skills they need in modern product development, uh, from mechanical design, electrical design, and, and software design. This is the 19th year of the robotics competition. It's the final exam in the prototyping and robotics course, and we're pretty sure the students were able to save Iron Man, Thor, the Hulk, 
and the rest of the Avengers. Superheroes in very good hands, saved by superhero students. Catch up on my Avengers movies. All right, <laughs> a painful mistake caught on camera. What compelled this woman to put an octopus on her face? And why she instantly regretted it right after the forecast. Three-foot hot dogs and beer. There's no better place for it than Nat Bailey Stadium, and that is where Christy Gordon is for a baseball game tonight. Christy? That's right, Chris. You can get pretty much everything here at the game. And, of course, lots of entertainment as well. They have the racing sushi, the dancing groundskeeper, which are a huge hit for the families that come down here and watch the great baseball that we'll see here tonight. Now, it was a scorcher. Not here in the Lower Mainland today because we had some more cloud cover, but in the interior, again, day four of that heat rain and heat wave, but it, the warning has now ended because tomorrow you are going to see some relief, but look at these numbers for today. 37 degrees in a Suyusin Trail. Trail actually uh, it was the hot spot uh, in Canada today at 38.1 degree. That other image you saw earlier didn't quite update. That's the official number there. So incredible heat when you think about it. Tomorrow some relief in sight for you. Using Kelowna as example, Tomorrow will still be hot, but it'll be just a touch cooler than what you saw today. Over the weekend, that's when you'll have huge relief. The problem is that it is an unsettled air mass that's going to move in. So we've got a risk of thunderstorms starting tonight in through the southern parts of B.C. And that risk of thunderstorms continues through Friday and into Saturday also. And it's so dry out there that that's not good news. So cloud cover again tomorrow for our region. Sunshine by the afternoon. For us, the best chance of showers will be over the weekend. And I couldn't get the three-foot-long hot dog, but I did get, this is the, uh, what is this called? The plate pretzel, which is as big as my head. I can't even imagine eating this. So I'm definitely going to bring some back to the studio for you guys. And I'll see if I can find that three-foot-long hot dog, too. Okay, don't forget the mustard. It's, yeah, exactly. It's bigger than her head. Yeah but probably delicious. A moment of instant regret for a Washington State woman when her photo op went horribly wrong. Her attempt to take the perfect picture with an octopus landed her in the hospital. At Jamie Bachelia's Fox Island home, gone fishing, her words to live by. On Friday, she was out on her boat. I got her last summer. She was donning her octopus-themed boots while attending a fishing derby. And she saw someone had caught a juvenile giant red Pacific octopus. I said, can I, can I have that? Don't let it go. I want to eat it for dinner. She also wanted to pose with it for the derby's photo contest. And I put it on my face and said, take my picture. And all of a sudden, they noticed and I noticed. My eyes just widened and it had put its beak into my chin not once but twice and it was like a barbed hook going into my skin. Photos show her pulling the octopus off of her face. And it was bleeding profusely for probably 30 minutes and very painful. Her chin swelled but that didn't stop her from attending another derby on Saturday. I did not go to the hospital because I am the strongest willed woman <laughs> I think out there and I was dedicated to my you know going to do my derby. After Jamie finished that second derby and spent another day on the water she still didn't go to the hospital. It wasn't until she woke up Sunday morning that she realized something was terribly wrong. And I noticed that I could not uh, swallow properly. My throat was swollen. My face was on this side mostly. The left side of my face was almost paralyzed feeling. Severe pain that only got worse. So my IV went bad in both arms 
in the hospital. Now she's home recovering and reflecting on her lesson learned. I'm just here to tell people that just because something looks delicate and precious or it can't hurt you, know what you're touching before you actually do something like I did. Normally it's an easy picture to replicate. The people do, I mean, 300,000 people come every year to have their picture taken. That is one of the most iconic images in music history. The Abbey Road album cover of the Beatles striding single file through a crosswalk as a police officer stops traffic. The photograph of John, Paul, George and Ringo taken by Ian McMillan 50 years ago today. And fans from around the world have flocked to London to pay homage to the Fab Four. <laughs> it looked exactly like them. And to recreate it. Yes. Yeah. Well, almost. All right. Um... Barry, take it away. Yes, yes, we're going to talk some tennis. It's tennis season. When you start seeing these guys play, you want to go out and play yourself, for sure. All right, thanks, guys. Bianca Andreescu burst onto the tennis scene uh, back in January when she virtually came from nowhere to win the prestigious Indian Wells Tournament in the Palm Desert. She followed that up the next week with three more wins in Miami. But then she had to pull out of that tournament because of a shoulder injury, and since then... She's played one match. That was at the French Open. She has pretty much missed the past six months because of that shoulder, but she's healthy again, and she is making another run at a big tournament, the Rogers Cup in Toronto. Andreescu meeting the world number five, Kiki Burtons of the Netherlands in the round of 16. Bianca coming out strong, but her forte is all of these variety of shots. Look at that, the running drop shot. How many players have that in their arsenal? But she's also got the power. She will hammer the uh, forehand winner. Breezed in the opening set, 6-1. This is the world number five she's playing, although uh, Bianca is ranked now pretty close into the top 20. Second more, uh, set more power from Bianca. Charges the net with the big swinging volley there. She's so fun to watch. Second set would go to a tie break. Andreescu had a match point, but Burton's fought it off and then hit this big forehand winner to uh, win the set and force a third set. And in that third set, Andreescu... Up a break, keeps the pedal down. Big forehand winner there to go up 4-1. Now 5-4, stays aggressive. Another huge forehand winner here, and it's on to the quarterfinals in Toronto, her hometown, just the fifth Canadian woman to ever make it to the final eight at the Rogers Cup. She'll meet third seed Karolina Pliskova of the Czech Republic tomorrow. Meanwhile, in Montreal, hometown boy Felix Auger-Aliassim celebrating his 19th birthday, taking on Russia Karen Hachinov, the sixth seed, great atmosphere, over 11,000 fans jammed in to watch Felix play, didn't disappoint early, facing a couple of set points, hits an incredible passion, a shot there to stay alive, and then still facing set point, Felix will bang the ace, and then he will crank one more ace to win the set, 7-6 in a tie break, he's all pumped up, second set, Felix continues to show his quality. Don't forget, just turning 19 today. Forehand winner to get back on serve at 5-4. But, as he said, he's just a kid and his serve just abandoned him the rest of the way. Double faults here to lose the second set, 7-5. Felix with 12 double faults in the match. Third set, Hatchinoff with match point, hits the service winner, and Felix Auger-Aliassim will be able to party tonight as a 19-year-old because his tennis week is over. No Canadians left in the field in Montreal. 
FedEx Cup playoffs are underway at the Northern Trust, officially in New Jersey, but right beside New York. First of three playoff tournaments, the top 70 in the field advance to a round two next week. Tiger Woods coming in ranked 28th, so he'll play for sure next week regardless what he does, and that's a good thing because Tiger had a tight back and he made some bad shots. Tee shot on the par three into trouble, led to a double bogey, also missed that short little putt for par, 75 for Tiger. I think actually missing the cut may help him next week. Maybe he'll get more rest. Defending FedEx champion Justin Rose. Long birdie here at a good first round, a 665. He's tied for fifth. Rory McIlroy also with a strong opening day. Makes the eagle here. He also is at six under par. The leader is uh, the bearded one, Troy Merritt. Nine birdies, nine pars on his way to a nine under 62. So he has got the lead. Five Canadians made the playoffs and the BC boys doing well. Uh, Nick Taylor and Roger Sloan at three under. Both of those guys would have to finish in the top 10 this week to advance to the top 70 next week. Hadwin and Connors will play for sure next week, regardless what they do. The Lions' long climb back to a playoff spot begins Saturday in Hamilton. BC has the worst record in the CFL at 1-6 and and likely need to win 9 of its last 11 to get to the postseason. Right now, that sounds impossible, considering how they're played uh, so far this year. But after a bye week, the Lions are ready to get back to work, and at least they feel hopeful, which is a must for a team in their position. We're confident in each other. I'm confident that we have the best quarterback in the league and we have one of the best receiving quarters in the league and I'm confident that the old linemen we have are going to get the job done. we got guys coming back healthy. We've got some of the best backs in the league. We've got, we've got a great team. It's just about putting it together and working as one. Nothing wrong with a little optimism. CFL tonight, Stamps and Blue Bombers, both teams 5-2, and two, tied for first in the West. It's been the year of the kick return of the CFL. Another one tonight, Janarian Grant with a 76-yard punt return for a touchdown. And we just saw, actually, you won't see it, but he just ran another one back a few moments ago. We'll update the score in a second. Stamps keeping it close. Nick Arbuckle. Goes in for the touchdown from 12 yards out. The updated score, 20-14 to 14 Winnipeg late in the first half. And the Canadian Little League Baseball Championships going in Ontario. Coquitlam representing BC. They play in the semis tomorrow against Ottawa. So hopefully they win that, then they're on to the final. Wish them luck. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks, Barry. Mm-hmm. Up on Canada, the good, the confused, and the love. It's the world's reaction to BH90210. Plus, Taylor Swift feuds and the newest twist in The Bachelor in Paradise drama. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, Carlos, thank you. Well, one of the co-creators of The Village People has died. Producer Henri Belolo helped to shape the disco genre when he came up with the idea for the campy costumed all-male group in 1978. Belolo also co-wrote their classic hits that have become pop culture standards, including YMCA, In the Navy, and Macho Man. He passed away at his home on Saturday. He was 82 years old. Had a lot a village people music at Pride. Absolutely, year, yeah. It's, uh, it's the best mm-hmm. best place for it. Okay, if, uh, if you build it, they will come. That famous quote from the movie Field of Dreams will turn from baseball fantasy into reality next year. The White Sox and the Yankees will go to bat in the middle of some Iowa cornfields in a special game that's unlike anything Major League fans have ever seen. Major League Baseball will make the Field of Dreams a reality next summer. If you build it, he will come. 
The league is taking a page from the script of the iconic 1989 movie that starred Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones. Is this heaven? No. It's Iowa. On August 13th, Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees will play the Chicago White Sox on a ball field that the film crew carved out of a cornfield in Dyersville, Iowa. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. MLB will construct a temporary 8,000-seat stadium for the event that's nearly twice the population of Dyersville, but tiny compared to the big crowds these teams usually attract. That's the joy and beauty of it, of being that intimate experience. And again, because it's a first time ever event, bringing it to the field, it's going to be just a unique experience for fans. In recent years, Major League Baseball has looked further afield for places to hold games. Earlier this season, the Yankees and Red Sox played in London, England. Games are also held at the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and at the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. Now MLB is taking to a field of dreams to showcase America's pastime. Tom Hansen, CBS News. That is going to be pretty cool. Tickets trading for thousands of dollars on Kijiji or whatever, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, don't forget about the C's game, of course. We saw Christy there earlier, speaking right. of baseball. It's going to be a beautiful night mm -hmm. for it. Thanks very much for watching. I'm leaving you for a week. Sorry. I, I hate you. <laughs> I'll miss you all. <laughs> we'll miss you too. Bye, everyone.